the Holy Gospel according to St. Matthew from the fifth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Gospel reading this morning is taken from the book of St. Matthew, chapter 5, verses 21 through 37, and can be found in your pew Bible on page 1502, 1502. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder. And anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the honor altar First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way. Or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, You will not get out until you have paid every last penny. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It has been said anyone who Divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality makes her the victim of adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfill to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven or for it's God's throne or by earth for it's his footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simply yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. This is the gospel of the Lord.
praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. This last week after the service in Sunday school, we had a discussion about salt, salt of the earth, and that was the lectionary series for last week, Matthew 5, 13, and um, I'm going to actually take a mulligan from last week and uh, take a swing at this one again for you all here. It does apply to the law. It does apply uh, to today's uh, uh, lectionary as well, but bear with me. I think you're going to enjoy it. From Matthew 5.13, It was said, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. So the question that came up in our Bible study was, how does salt lose its saltiness? Right, Eldred? And your pastor Didn't really know, but he does now. So the question actually leads to more questions. Um, Is this a a reference to literal or is it figurative? Does anyone here, let me ask you this, does anyone here come from a science background, uh, either chemical engineering or anything? Does anyone, you know, okay, all right. Um, I know Hank does, and uh, this is a poor Hank endorsed. That's the second time they've heard this. Um, I have a, a very modest scientific background, and my education was uh, liberal arts, and so I got a little bit of everything, and, you know, I had a biology lab, and I had chemistry, so I got a, a, a kind of a working man's understanding of this stuff. So let me see if I can... Uh, share with you the exercise that I went through, see if we can logically think this through together. The first question that has to be addressed in regards to this is, what is the chemical composition of salt? Is it table salt, which is sodium chloride? On the table, periodic table, it's NaCl. So let's just say for this, for argument's sake, let's just say that Jesus was speaking about table salt. And we know that when uh, sodium chloride is combined with water, it is a mixture, but it's not another compound. We know that there is no discernible chemical reaction just because it's put into the water. The salt particles... They enjoy a little extra space uh, of not being in a a crystal form, but the vast majority of the salt molecules will not, do not mingle with the water. In other words, they don't share an electron. So they're just kind of floating 
I'm salt. Some of them are sinking, but they haven't changed. Still salt, hanging out in a lot of water, okay? Now, the only way for salt to lose its saltiness from a chemical perspective is for that chemical reaction to occur. Somehow we got to break the bond. Sodium chloride is a very, very stable substance. The chemical bond is very, very tight. You see, sodium and chlorine are happy to become one and share their one electron. They are happy because things work out really well for them. They're like a happily married couple that just loves to be married, no matter what hits the fan. So pour them into water, and we're happy. We are together. Okay? Where are you going, Pastor? Hang in there. So now we know that sodium chloride is used for many purposes. It's used to add flavor to food. It's used to draw out the water in foods. It is used to cure food for longevity. And it is used to create traction on icy roads, not here in California. And actually, calcium chloride is actually used for the purpose more. If you don't have any salt sitting around or any of the calcium chloride sitting around, you can use table salt to create traction on your front step on a snowy day. Can I get an amen here? Has anyone ever done that in the snow country? Bonnie, yeah, okay. So, um, again, no weather here in California. I wouldn't know anything about that. But, And I believe that um, salt was even at sometimes used for an antiseptic purpose. So, for salt to lose its pungent, its pungent saltiness or change, its physical composition, it would have to be diluted in water because it's in a non-reactive in its crystalline form. Or electricity would have to be introduced to force the cl sodium chloride into its ionic components, thereby changing its, com its chemical... <laughs> easy for me to say. The only way you're going to get them to break apart is you shock them, okay? And some, some of them will separate in the water, but the majority of them won't. Salt generally does not lose its saltiness. That is the answer to the question. But listen to me now. For the Christian, the salt of the earth, to lose its degree of saltiness, the gospel would have to be diluted in his life. One more time. For you and me to not be salty as Christians, the gospel that we receive from hearing the word would have to be diluted. Somehow, electrically, it'll have to, it has to be torn apart. What does that look like? Well, this person is a complacent Christian. This person does not protect the truth of the gospel in their lives from the rainfall of other ideas and ideologies, things like Buddhism, things like Islam, things like American culture. This person mixes the truth with a myriad of 
different ideologies. Or perhaps this Christian is a skeptic. You know, the hair-splitting Christian. What does a hair-splitting Christian sound like? They say things like, they believe in Jesus, but they don't really want their lives to be changed. They say things like, I know that the Bible says that premarital sex is not acceptable, but does that pertain to now, today, in 2020? They say, I know that the Bible says that I should not lie, but does that mean on my taxes too? Skepticism is an electric shock to the truth contained in the gospel. And instead of planting faith the size of a mustard seed, skepticism creates doubt that is as wide as the Grand Canyon. So thereby, I assert that the question that the Christian or the Christ follower must ask is this. Well, not necessarily how does salt lose its saltiness. Rather, the question should be, how then can I maintain my saltiness? And you're doing it now. In Matthew 5, 20, it reads, For I tell you, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. That's some heavy-duty law. I want you to imagine for a moment the best person that you know. Can you picture them? This person is the nicest, the kindest person around. Can you picture them? Maybe they are the most holy or spiritual person you know, and and this person, this guy, this gal, just puts you to shame with how good they are. They're the person that you wish you could be more like. Back in Jesus' day, That was the sort of, well, that was sort of how people viewed the Pharisees and the scribes. They were the top of the top. They were king of the hill. They were A number one. The scribes were just so smart, and they knew so much. And the Pharisees in their finery. They were just so respected and virtuous. (sighs) Oh, to be like them. And then, in the middle of the Sermon of the Mount, Jesus drops a law bomb. Jesus makes this astonishing assertion that our righteousness needs to exceed. It needs to be beyond 
that of the scribes and the Pharisees. How is that possible? Now, since we are people of 2020 and some 2,000 years down the line, we see how often the scribe and the Pharisees behave wretchedly. That wasn't much of a standard bar as you heard me read that, right? We knew they were, they were bad. They behaved wickedly, wretchedly. They were, well, they weren't very impressive. And Jesus poked them right in the nose. And he said, you can't. You can't be in heaven unless you are more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees. It would be like saying this today. Bezos, the gentleman that owns Amazon, or Bill Gates, it would be like saying today, you need to be richer than Bezos or Bill Gates combined. It's almost nonsensical. But when Jesus teaches the fullness of the law, it's not just about outward appearances. It's not just about being a a swell guy or really, really nice. It's not just a question of well-disciplined, virtuous deeds. But it is about your words. It is about your thoughts. Indeed, to hate is as bad as murder. To call someone a bad name is hell worthy. That's the kind of righteousness that God in his law demands. I fell short on the way up here. Boy, I get in that car, right? Of ourselves, we aren't approaching that. We're not even close to surpassing the scribes and the Pharisees. Think about that. Not even close. But Christ Jesus, his righteousness, it is indeed beyond that of the scribes and the Pharisees. It's his righteous life. It's his righteous death. It's his resurrection that in fact establishes the kingdom of heaven. And he establishes it for you and for me. In your holy baptism, he poured all of his righteousness upon you. And he said, it's yours. That's that glorious exchange. Our sin for his righteousness poured out on us. And later this morning, poured into us his righteousness. So in fact, everything that is Jesus's, everything that is his is now yours. He gives you all that 
He is. So that in Christ, your righteousness does exceed the scribes and the Pharisees. And he gives this to you freely. We won't boast or brag about how great or virtuous we are. We know the law too well to claim it as our own by our own doing. But you are righteous in Christ, my brothers and sisters, and the kingdom of heaven is yours because you belong to Jesus. And he gives you all good things. In the name of Jesus.